Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Good morning. Welcome to Spotlight on Maryland. It's Gina Crash, your host for the next half hour or so, and I'm really excited to introduce you to my two guests this morning. First up, we have Marissa Jackman. She is the director of the Aaron Levitas Foundation. Good morning, Marissa. Good morning, Gina. Thanks for having me. Oh my gosh, we're so excited. It's such an important topic. We're going to be talking about more about Erin and, and the work that you're doing in her honor. And Dr. Quince Hopkins is also here, a gender violence and restorative justice expert and the director of the Erin Levitas Initiative for Sexual Assault Prevention at the University of Maryland Francis King Carey School of Law. Good morning, Quince. Good morning, and thanks so much for having us, Tina. Good to be here. Absolutely, and I think the best way to get started is probably by telling us, uh, Marissa, about the Aaron Levitas Foundation, an organization you know a lot about. Yes, so we are Baltimore-based nonprofit, and we do programming and invest in programs that focus on early education for youth to prevent sexual assault and help survivors heal. And we really started, you know, from friends and family that saw a need around the sexual assault prevention. And um, we've grown from there. Yeah. And what inspired that the story is quite remarkable. I think I first um, found out, I, I think I saw Annie Rose Ramos's piece on WJZ TV a couple of months back. And I was just really taken with the story and what inspired um, Aaron's family to start the foundation in her honor. And she's actually your, was your first cousin, right? It is your first That's cousin. That's correct. Yeah. She's my first cousin. Cool. So tell us a little bit about her story. I know she, she went through quite a lot and you're carrying on uh, what she really wanted to accomplish while she was here. Um, you know, not only in spirit, but also on earth. Exactly. Yeah. So Aaron, you know, like, you know, was bright, wonderful, smart, you know, vivacious. And, you know, she, like so many, you know, young women, she chose to go off to college and she, she came back um, to Baltimore for holiday break. And unfortunately, you know, when she met up with a friend, she, she was raped. And so that's one of the things that actually really, you know, changed her life story. And so that started a couple things in her life. So Erin was so close with her family and her mom, Wendy, but like a lot of young people, she actually chose not to tell her family for almost two years. But so when she went back to college, she realized 
you know, her experience with rape was, you know, she wasn't alone. There were so many people had been through with that and she was outraged and she's like, I have to do something about this. So when she went back to school with her sorority and, and she was really involved, she said, you know what, I'm going to do something about this. And that right then and there, she planned to go to law school, actually University of Maryland Law School, to work on prevention and survivor support. Um, and that was one thing that really kind of changed the course of her life. And then the other thing was when she, um, her senior year of college, unfortunately, right before spring break, she was diagnosed with cancer, very rare cancer. And so she had to put off law school and fight that battle. Unfortunately for her, um, she did not win that battle. But while she was sick, a couple things happened. She made it very clear to her family that, you know, she's like, I want to see this change that I was going to make in the world, right? She wanted prevention to happen. She didn't want to see this happening to other people. And, um, the other thing, like a lot of individuals that experienced something like sexual assault and rape, was there were impacts on her life, right? Academic impacts, behavioral problems. And one of the things for Aaron was sleep issues. So Wendy will talk about how when Aaron was sick and when she knew she was terminal, Wendy would hear her crying at night. And Wendy would go up into her room and she'd say, you know, is it death that's scaring you? Like, what can I do to help? And Aaron was like, it's the night terrors that are keeping me up at night. And so I think that really struck a chord with Wendy and the family. And so Aaron really, you know, she was going to live her life doing this work to make sure it didn't happen to other people. And so this is her legacy. This is the work that she was going to do in the world. She hates cancer. Cancer sucks. But she's like, people are working on it. And this is what I was going to do. And that's why we picked it up from there. Yeah, because people might think since she had experience with both um sexual assault and also cancer that maybe she would have started a cancer charity but honestly this was the work this is going to be her life's work it is and continuing to be um you know in her honor which is so great that you're carrying that on for her and i would imagine that prevention then would be the main focus um you know of the aaron levitas foundation and your mission maybe you can tell people a little bit about what that you know mission statement is and how how prevention is so important and then we'll get into the work that uh, dr quince hopkins is doing to help with all of that yeah so you know we want to see a future with less sexual assaults um you know there there are incredible organizations for survivor support out there and and we recognize that and so you know, prevention is hard work and it takes time and a lot of investment. And we want we want to stop those harms, right? Those traumas that are caused, like that Aaron went through that, you know, a young person going through cancer is being kept up by night terrors, right? From a rape many years prior. So um, that that is why we focus on prevention. Um, in, in addition, you know, we we're the one we're taking the time and people can join us. These numbers haven't changed. And that's really important. You know, one in five women um, experience attempted or completed rape. And that hasn't changed in decades. So, um, you know, we see a lot of positive ins impacts from prevention. And that's why, you know, downstream, you know, we want to see teen dating violence impacted and workplace harassment. And so with the future, with less sexual assaults, and that means, you know, less perpetrators, right? A child that doesn't become a perpetrator, a child that doesn't become a survivor or a victim, you know, and that's where, you know, our partnership really started with the University of Maryland, and, and they're doing that, and we're so proud of it. Yes, and it's a place that was close to Aaron's heart as well, because that's where she was going to be attending 
law school, um, but unfortunately couldn't. But Quinn says the director of the Aaron Levitas Initiative for Sexual Assault Prevention at the University of Maryland, Francis King Carey School of Law. Um, Tell us about your partnership with the Aaron Levitas Foundation, how you got involved with that. Sure, I'd be excited to. So um, it's a really unique, a uh, unique relationship between uh, University of Maryland, Baltimore, not just with the law school, but also with the School of Social Work. Our partner, Dr. Laurie Graham, who's a professor in the School of Social Work, works really closely with us um, as well. But the, it's unique in a number of different ways. Um, one of them, obviously, is the work wouldn't happen without the funding from uh, from the foundation itself. Uh, we do uh, some grant writing. We do get some smaller grants, but the bulk of the funding for the uh, the work that we do is coming directly from the from the foundation. Uh, but probably even more important than that, although my dean might say, no, that's the most important thing is the money. But for me, as a, as a programs person, what's really special about this relationship is that um, the we work work on the program work really closely with the foundation. So while the bulk of the programming, particularly around the student facing curriculum, we have three parts of our curriculum, a student-facing curriculum, a teacher-facing curriculum, and a parent-facing curriculum. Most of the student-facing curriculum is uh, is primarily based out of the law school and working with law and social work students to deliver it. Our parent-facing program, we have a fairly close working relationship with Marissa and with the foundation, and they've been actively involved in our development of that beyond just the funding, but also working on it. And then our, our teacher-facing program, which was specifically developed by Dr. Graham and is being adapted to our programming and to the Baltimore City Public Schools context. Uh, the foundation is also um, involved uh, involved with that. Marissa is, uh, works with us on a regular basis on making that come to fruition. So it's a very unique partnership. Most foundations don't get involved in the day-to-day workings, uh, unlike what's happening um, in our relationship with the foundation and yeah. the law school and the school social Yeah, what a partnership, because it's like the, the funds are being raised and it's almost like it's a direct pipeline into then you know then you have what you need to sustain the work that you're doing and to expand it you know so it all exactly it, it exactly. is very and the, important and one right one of the other things that i'll add is that the foundation it as uh they are doing things, different events, different activities, and fundraising. They also are engaged in the uh, joint project of educating about uh, sexual harassment, sexual assault, and the work that we're doing in the initiative at the law and social, law school and social work school. And much of that work being done by the foundation is to provide early education, specifically to those in middle school. And Quince, with your program, um, the student-facing curriculum being for you know middle school students, can you tell us why that's so important to target that particular population? about this issue? Absolutely, absolutely. We are very, very intentional in our choice to work with middle school students in particular, and there are really strong research-based reasons for doing that. What we know is sexual harassment and sexual assault are predictors of later, more serious, uh, I sometimes hesitate to use the frame more serious because sexual harassment can be devastating to folks that experience it um, just as much as, as rape or sexual assault. But what we know from the research is that sexual harassment and homophobic bullying in particular are strong predictors of later sexual assault and rape. And the sexual harass- rates of sexual harassment are at their highest in middle school. They actually start to drop off in high school and college when that 
the kinds of behaviors morph or change into things like sexual assault and rape. So at the middle school level, between 45 and 55% of both boys and girls experience sexual harassment. And when we're talking at the middle school level, what we're talking about is things like butt slapping or rumor spreading or one of the things that's really been growing in prevalence is around sharing of sexual images through technology, sexting, uh, sharing uh, um, unwanted sexual images or content with someone else. Uh, So all of these things plus the homophobic name calling. So in the middle school years, we see what might have previously been sort of, and I put air quotes around this, ordinary bullying morphs into homophobic name calling. Um, So for, it might be that a person is targeted for not conforming to traditional gender um, expression might be called gay or lesbian, or for girls, it might be that they're slut-shamed or something along those lines. Um, so it morphs into homophobic name calling, calling. And the thing that folks might not realize is that someone who experiences that kind of harassment is more likely to engage in um, uh, sexual harm, engage in uh, sexual harassment or um, assault than if that had not happened. So in addition to those who are engaging in the harmful conduct around bullying, they might engage in greater rates of sexual harassment, but also the person who experiences that. So we really are focusing on middle school because we, it's a strong predictor for later, more serious sexual violence. And what is the curriculum for middle school students? Uh, what areas do you tend to focus on? Sure, yeah. So we have a, a seven-module program, so uh, seven hours, plus one of the modules around gender norms we split into two. So it's actually now a slightly larger program, eight modules. And we have topics that are typical of a lot of dating violence prevention programs, but um, in more depth and with a particular research base around some of the things we're looking at. But we cover things like healthy communication, um, consent, healthy boundaries, healthy gender norms, uh, safe use of social media and technology. So so some of the content is, um, is common in other programs and others um, is different. We do have a racial, racial equity consultant we work with, Jimmy Boyd-Keys, who's amazing, and she has uh, worked with us on the program to make sure that unlike other dating violence prevention and gender violence prevention programs, which have been built in primarily white urban suburban populations our program we are very consciously uh, developing it so that it speaks to and is reflective of issues that are facing uh, young people in Baltimore City and other urban environments and we also are working closely with specialists in LGBTQ inclusiveness because again this is an area where dating violence and gender-based violence prevention programs fall short um, of uh, really addressing those kinds of inclusiveness issues um, in this area. And that's a much, uh, that's a very important distinction that you are broadening it like that. There are other organizations that work um, in this area, but I think you guys have really filled a specific niche like that that's really going to sure. help, um, you know, bro- yeah. broaden that base of help. And um, right. bringing uh, Marissa Jackman back into the conversation real quick, the director of the Aaron Levitas Foundation. Um, Marissa, maybe you could tell us some of the foundation's other programs that are important to tell people about. 
For sure. So, you know, Quince just talked about that student-facing curriculum, which we're so proud of. And um, she also mentioned our teacher training program that, you know, is going to be mainly virtual for teachers to identify and respond to levels of sexual harassment that do give rise to more sexually violent acts and, and some Title IX information in there. And then we have something that we're so excited about, which is our our parent and caregiver education program and that's going to be free for all and you know to enhance those protective factors and help parents and, and caregivers aware of what they are things like close relationships someone they can trust and some of the things Quinn's mentioned understanding boundaries how to respect and maintain them but doing some of those things inside the home right so we can really support all this education and safe use of social media technology and we're, we're sprinkling some statistics in there because it really helps caregivers understand, you know, why certain things are important to learn, not just, oh, I know they're supposed to understand consent, but really understand why so they can infuse it into their lives. And we also, we offer webinars. We just did one in um, February on teen dating violence for um, Awareness and Prevention Month, and we do youth advocacy programs. We had one on social media with a great organization, I Can Help, that focuses on mental health impact of sexual assault, and that was really exciting. And then we have um, an additional resource, a book coming out that we are so excited about that um, we'll definitely um, share more later. But it's really an opportunity for children and caregivers to work together and um, learn together around um, some of these important protective factors and boundaries. Mm-hmm. And do you find that with the, the pandemic being uh, so much of it being virtual, but with these kids being at the age where they are very um, uh, you know, uh, pr- pr- proficient with using technology and phones and all that kind of thing. So has it almost helped in a certain way to sort of reach people in a way that maybe you're reaching more people because it's it's online and not so much in person at the moment? You know, that's a great question. I think there's, you know, Quince can definitely talk about that on the on the student side, because I know that when the pandemic hit, we had to really pivot. Um, but definitely for our audience, um, they are listening, you know, more webinars, more people are able to, you know, c- hop on a webinar at 10 a.m. in the morning, right? Because <laughs> right. they, I'm like, come on, have coffee with us, especially, you know, we, we pivoted very quickly. We're, we're small, definitely, but mighty. And so right away, we made sure to actually up our communication with, you know, everyone who's involved in our investors to make sure they knew what was going on and how we were pivoting, but also it was an opportunity to make sure education gets out there. But it also really supported what we were doing, right? We have this parent program that we had been planning to do, but we hadn't been able to do it yet. And it you needed it more than ever, right? Parents were stuck in their homes with their children, and this information, it's so apparent how how much we needed as parents to be able to support these healthy relationships because they weren't physically in school as well. We wanted, you know, we saw the need. Mm-hmm. And uh, back to Quince for a moment. How do the programs um, you lead, Quince, that Marissa mentioned that prepares Uh, parents and teachers to identify and intervene when children are experiencing sexual harassment or sexual assault? That's a a very important question. Right. Yeah, no, I appreciate the question. And um, there there are 
different and similar, of course, right? We're talking about adults interfacing with uh, young people that they, um, they, that they, who they love, uh, whether they're teachers or parents. Um, and I think with parents, a lot of it is, uh, you know, we're not, we don't spring full blown from the womb knowing how to raise children, right? We struggle <laughs> with raising ourselves sometimes, but uh, in terms of talking to young people about really delicate issues, it's hard. It is just hard. So in our parent program that Marissa was talking about, we work on things like what are sort of some basic questions you can ask to open conversation. And we talk about the importance of having a, just in general an open line of communication, even if the, a particular conversation is not going deep, but it's uh, that young people feel safe, uh, that the, their parents are safe people or caregivers are safe people to talk to when something does come up. With teachers in our teacher program, it is uh, specifically around identifying in the school context when sexual harassment is taking place. What we know is that a lot of sexual harassment is happening. I mentioned the 50% statistic, uh, but a lot of it is not being responded to, partly because it's not being noticed, recognized, identified as problematic behavior. So part of our goal with the teacher program is to help teachers understand not only what the behaviors are that are problematic, but why they're problematic and how they're doing something good to intervene when they hear about a rumor being spread, when they, they, um, they hear uh, sort of name calling in the, in the hallways, that they're doing some really good prevention work if they step up and intervene. So there's about identifying what's happening and then how to respond, how to be good bystanders and intervene in a way that's educational rather than harmful. And a piece that we haven't really talked about yet about our programming with the students and with the teachers is that we use a particular methodology that is not used by other um, dating violence prevention programs or gender violence prevention programs, and that is called restorative practices. And the initiative at the law school is housed in the Center for Dispute Resolution, which has a long history of working with schools in Maryland, K-12 schools in Maryland, with using restorative justice and restorative practices. It's really a, a leader in that work in Maryland. And we use something in particular called restorative dialogue circles, which allows the students to engage in face-to-face um, -face learning and engage in their own learning and, and develop some empathy that is one of the pr protective factors against sexual assault, so peer-to-peer -peer empathy. And so the teachers being trained up in how to respond to incidents of sexual harassment that are in a more restorative way, which aims at having accountability but repairing harm that's been done and moving forward in a more educated um, and healthy way is part of what we built into our teacher program. And, well. and you being an expert in that um, certainly helps with that a ton. And so is that your newest curriculum that does address that open dialogue and that restorative uh, justice? Is that something that you're currently doing or is that something you're still working on? Is that or is it in place now? Right. So we, there are two components of it. In the educational curriculum, our prevention curriculum, we do use restorative dialogue circles. So teaching in circle with law students and social work students, facilitating conversation around the curriculum, the substantive curriculum. What we're in the process of developing that I think you're referring to is a response to incidents of sexual harassment when they occur. And that is called restorative justice conferencing. Yes. And that is some, right. So that is 
a, something we work with City Springs Elementary Middle School, and we're reaching out to other schools we hope to start working with in the fall that have some background in restorative justice conferencing. City Springs is what you would call a fully restorative school. The whole school uh, engages in this kind of uh, response to incidents of behavior of all different kinds using restorative justice conferencing as their disciplinary approach. Uh, so we, uh, we, hit, we are developing our responsive piece, responding to incidents of sexual harassment. And that is something that uh, not until we're back into the schools will we be able to fully implement. So in the meantime, we've been focused, as Marissa said, on expanding our programming to include the parent program and the teacher program. And we've done a little bit, a couple of sessions we're in the middle of doing right now with City Springs, doing them virtually. But it is a real challenge with COVID to do this kind of work in a way that's safe for yeah, young people. for sure. Now, we have less than five minutes. I want to make sure we get into the fifth anniversary, Marissa, of Aaron's passing, what you think she would say about the important work that you're doing today. And also, um, you know, we were mentioning earlier, Quince was saying how fundraising is so important to continue the work that she is doing. So we should definitely make sure to talk about your Stroll and Roll fundraiser that's coming up. Tell people how they can get involved, how we can get that important funding and, and what you think ultimately um, Aaron would have thought of the work that you're both doing. Yeah. So, so to take your first question, you know, I think Aaron was loud. People knew her laugh, but I actually think that she would be speechless. I think she would be extremely touched to know that her friends and family have, you know, stepped up and, and we carry her legacy kind of on our shoulders every day. And, you know, prevention is coming, you know, from her pain and, and her trauma. And I think she would be extremely proud. And every time a child learns something, a parent learns something, someone in our community decides to make a change in, in their, you know, how they decide to handle a situation. And it stems from Erin. Um, and we're, we're very proud of that. And I think, I think she would be as well. Um, and so the, and the second part is the stroll and roll, you know, um, is, is coming up. It is on Saturday, May 1st, and we are, it's virtual. So it's a virtual stroll and roll. What does that mean? It means it's whatever you want it to be, right? You can drive, you can roll, wheelchair. Um, it's called for 10 a.m., but it, like, again, it's virtual. So it can be whenever you want it to be. We have people, you know, all around the country actually strolling and rolling. Some are doing it in small groups with masks, you know, your own pod. And, um, you know, we've had incredible sponsors that really joined early after they did it last year. They're like, Count us in again. We're so excited. Um, and there's opportunities to, to join. It's $25 for a family, for an individual, however you want to join. That's great. And you can do that right at your website, which is AaronLevitas.org. And that's uh, that's L-E-V-I-T-A-S, Aaron Le- and E-R-I-N, I should say. Um, and you get a cool mask for free as well. And is that the best place to your website for people to go if they want to um, support the Aaron Levitas Foundation in that way or in other ways? Um, and is that the best thing for them to do? It is. It's definitely the best way, you know, and we're here, right? We're, we're people on the other end. So don't forget that. So you can register online there. And if you liked what we talked about, you know, and follow us on social media, join our newsletter and you can do all that on our website and learn with us, grow with us. You know, we're, we're investing in this prevention and we've done a lot of the heavy lifting and, you know, our, our only limit at, at this point is, you know, funds. So let's, you know, every time you decide to join in some way, we can, you know, educate more kids, educate our community to invest in this prevention. And you mentioned social media. You can get those direct icons to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I think you even recently joined TikTok. Isn't that right? 
Yes, yes. So, so keep an eye out. We're we're very excited about it. We're going to get creative and have some fun with it because we, you know, we want to we want everyone to be involved. Yes, yes. I can hear that hearty laugh from Erin right now, and I know she's proud of the work <laughs> you're doing. This is amazing. And again, people can register today at erinlevitas.org for the virtual stroll and roll coming up Saturday, May first. And we want to thank so much. We want uh, Dr. Quince Hopkins to continue doing the amazing work she's doing as the director of the Erin Levitas Initiative for Sexual Assault assault prevention at the university of maryland francis king carey school of law quince thank you so much for joining us and bringing your expertise to the table today to explain how important this work is thank you so much it's been a pleasure to talk with you absolutely we'll have you back again soon because i know you're constantly revising that curriculum and the work and uh, it's fascinating and we would love to hear uh, future updates and marissa jackman can't thank you enough either director of the aaron levitas foundation first cousin of uh, of aaron and thank you so much for sharing uh, some of her spirit with us and her story and carrying on her work in her honor this has just been a very important topic i'm happy to have both of you here today Thank you so much for having us. This is incredible, and um, we're, we're proud to be a part of this community, so thank you. Absolutely. Again, AaronLevitas.org. Thank you guys for listening. This has been a production of Odyssey Baltimore.